You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. I'm Jenny Williamson. And I'm Jen McMenemy. And this is Ancient History Fangirl, Hot Cleopatra Summer Edition. Also Hot Sauron Summer! <laughs> This episode is part of a two-part series we did on our Patreon about Cleopatra and King Herod. Yes, that King Herod, the one from the Bible and from Jewish religious tradition as well. This story departs quite a bit from the religious tales you may be used to if you came from one of those traditions. It's based on the historical King Herod, who was a real person, and his relationship with none other than Cleopatra. Yes, it turns out, these two were contemporaries. They knew each other, and they hated each other's guts. It's fantastic! This story has so many twists and turns and drama, and it's pretty amazing. We originally created and released this story for our Patreon members, and we're putting it up here so you can see the quality of work we bring to our Patreon. Let's just say it's sizzling hot, just like Cleopatra. I think that's an accurate description of our Patreon. (laughs) Depending on the level you subscribe to on our Patreon, you'll get extra episodes like this one, as well as videos, sometimes lengthy videos and episodes, drunk mythology, exclusive interviews with various guests, and so much more. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash ancienthistoryfangirl and help us keep the podcast running over the summer and beyond. Thank you so much for your support. I'm Jenny Williamson. And I'm the Library of Alexandria. And this is Ancient History Fangirl, The After Party. Just for Patreon subscribers, welcome. We're so happy you're here with us. So in our last mini-seared installment, we told the story of Cleopatra and King Herod and why they hated each other. Turns out the saga continues because this is part two. Yes, part two of Cleopatra and King Herod wouldn't touch you with a barge pole. The Reckoning. The (laughs) Reckoning. In our last minisode, Mark Antony has just showered Cleopatra with new kingdoms to rule, including part of Herod's kingdom of Judea, the profitable part. Cleopatra visited King Herod to work out the tributes he was going to pay her, and he hatched a harebrained scheme to kill her and tell his friends that she totally came on to him, and his friends just took a beat and talked him out of all his craziness. So at this point, Cleopatra has left Judea 
But Herod hadn't seen the last of her. Herod had a fractious family life. His wife was the beautiful Miriam, last daughter of the Hasmonean dynasty, a family Herod had overthrown to gain power in Judea. Herod had killed Miriam's father and brother to become king, and then he'd married Miriam when she was just a teenager. The minute he'd laid eyes on Miriam, Herod had fallen deeply in love with her. But Miriam loathed Herod. She hated this guy, just could not stand his face. Probably the fact that he'd killed her father and brother had something to do with it. I don't know, just speculating here. I mean, that would do it for me, but what do I know? Right. Miriam's mother, Alexandra, also lived in Herod's household, and she also despised Herod, probably for similar reasons. See above reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Miriam had a beloved younger brother, a boy named Aristobulus. He was about 16. Sometime around Cleopatra's visit, Herod had appointed a new high priest, and his choice was not Aristobulus. And this really pissed off both Miriam and Alexandra, who felt that Aristobulus was entitled to the position. It's possible Herod didn't want to give Aristobulus, the last son of the Hasmonean dynasty, that visible role. But both Miriam and Alexandra were infuriated. Cleopatra had recently befriended both women on her visit. The fact that they so easily became friends may have added to Herod's antagonism. Anyway, Alexandra wrote to Cleopatra immediately, asking her to exert her influence on Antony to force Herod to appoint Aristobulus to the role. And just a reminder about Antony, Antony and Herod, as we talked about in the last episode, were actually boyhood friends. Yeah, they'd been friends as teenagers in Rome because Herod had grown up in Rome. It's not clear whether Cleopatra spoke to Antony, and if she did, it's likely Antony had bigger fish to fry at the moment. Definitely not fish that he'd caught, though, because we've been over this and he sucked at that. I mean, Parthia. He just had Parthia to deal with. Right. He sucked at Parthia, too. I don't know where we're at in our in our episodes, but if you listen to that arc, you'll see. Anyway, Antony probably was in Parthia at this moment. He had bigger things to deal with, and he wasn't particularly worried at the moment about who was and wasn't a high priest in Judea. But at some point, Antony sent his friend Delius to Herod's court on an unrelated mission. Delius, if you'll remember, was the guy with extremely flexible loyalties who'd first coached Cleopatra on how to win over Mark Antony. We mention him kind of in passing in Cleopatra and Mark Antony, Lovers in a Dangerous Time Part 1. Anyway, if there was anything Delius loved, it was to stir shit up. Essentially, that was his profession. Professional shit stirrer. I believe that that is the case, yes. I feel like you just send him in when you want to, like, just make things worse. Right. Alexandra managed to corner Delius, air her grievances to him, and see if he might help her get Mark Antony's attention. Delius took a look at the two extremely attractive siblings, Miriam and Aristobulus, and said, Oh, Mark Antony's gonna love them. I mean, there's so much wrong with this, but we'll get to it. (laughs) It's just, I mean... Right, it's just such a freaking random story, and I side-eye all of this. I'm just going to put that out there, but we're still going to tell it to you because it's what Josephus tells us. Delius advised Alexandra to have portraits painted of both siblings. Delius promised to bring them back to Antony, and he had a feeling that once Antony laid eyes on the two beautiful siblings, he'd be able to deny them nothing. Josephus tells us that Delius's purpose here was, quote, to entice Antony into lewd pleasures with them. Okay. He's got Cleopatra. You are just stirring up unnecessary shit. It's just so out there. Like, and Miriam's married to Herod, who's his childhood friend. I mean, to be fair, Mark Antony does have a habit of sleeping with other people's wives. So I don't know, maybe. So this whole lewd pleasures with them didn't seem to bother their mother, Alexandra, very much. She followed Delius's advice. And when Antony received the portraits, he was indeed intrigued by both the boy and the girl. But he was also wary. He didn't think it would be appropriate to send for Miriam since she was Herod. 
Byron's wife, but Aristobulus was single and also 16, and Antony would have been maybe 47 at this point, but when is an inappropriate age difference stop the ancient Romans from getting it on? I don't think that's ever happened. I mean, first off, it is kind of weird that Delius is like, yeah, just send a portrait of Herod's wife over to Mark Antony so they can smash. But like, on the other hand, I'm like, the idea of Antony being circumspect in any way also makes me question this narrative. <laughs> I just, everything about this just doesn't ring true. I just side-eye all of this, that's all. But apparently, according to Josephus, Antony sent back a letter to Delius saying, left swipe on the girl, but right swipe on the boy. Herod found out about the whole thing and he was enraged. He assembled his council and complained about Alexandra's plotting and her recklessness in sending a 16-year-old boy to a 47-year-old Roman general with a reputation for sexual decadence. I mean, that I can understand. Point to Herod there. Why are we telling this ridiculous story? Take all of this with a giant boulder of salt, you guys. Thing is, Antony was the most powerful man in Rome, and I guess the eastern provinces. Herod couldn't just say no to him. The only way Herod could keep Aristobulus in the country was by appointing him high priest so he couldn't leave. Well played, Alexandra, and maybe Cleopatra and Antony. Maybe that was the plan all along. I kind of think it might have been the plan all along. Maybe Antony was like, I don't want either of them and I can't request Herod's wife. Maybe if I request Aristobulus, he'll make him high priest so he doesn't have to come. And then Cleopatra will quit whining, Alexandra will quit whining, and this will all be done. I don't know. I don't credit Antony with that much guile. I credit Cleopatra with it, though. I think Cleopatra may have had a hand in this, but I side-eye the idea of Mark Antony having that much guile. No, oh, not disagreeing there. Yeah, so Aristobulus got to be high priest after all, but Herod was incensed with Alexandra. He hated how she'd backed him into a corner over this. He accused her of conspiring with Cleopatra to take over his government and usurp his power. Alexandra begged Herod's forgiveness. She wept and lamented, but it did her no good. Herod put her under house arrest. <laughs> I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Now it was Alexandra's turn to be enraged. Her guards watched her night and day. They wouldn't let her leave her palace. She was given no privacy. She already hated Herod. Now she really, really hated Herod. She'd rather any other horrible fate than to be, quote, deprived of her liberty of speech and to live in a state of slavery and terror. I mean, these people are throwing the word slavery around quite loosely, so there's that. Yeah, they have no freaking clue what they're talking about. Everyone's a slave to something in this whole narrative that isn't actual slavery. We're just going to put out, out there, if you've noticed it, we've noticed it too. Alexandra sent a long letter to Cleo detailing the long list of her grievances and begging for help. Cleopatra was over in Alexandria at the moment while Antony was in Parthia, basically just flailing around, and she was glad to help. She needed a distraction. She sent a fast ship to Judea and promised to give Alexandra asylum. Aristobulus could come too, since Alexandra feared for his safety. All they had to do was get themselves on that ship. Alexandra contrived a plan to sneak herself and Aristobulus out of the palace in two coffins. She ordered her servants to carry them both to sea, where Cleopatra's ship waited. 
But the plan didn't work. One of Alexander's own servants betrayed her to Herod. He caught both of them in the act. Herod didn't dare punish his mother-in-law outright, not when she had such powerful friends. So he swallowed his rage as the months stretched on and he caught rumors of Alexander's continued plotting. Meanwhile, he had to watch the beautiful, graceful Aristobulus in his high priest robes ministering to the people. Aristobulus was attracting quite a following, and that was dangerous for him. I mean, that had to grate on him. Absolutely. And the worst thing about all this, Miriam totally took the side of her mother and brother and hated Herod even more. I mean, shocker. The guy who killed her family, she doesn't like you. Shocker, I'm shocked over here. Even though he'd done everything she'd asked, he'd made Aristobulus high priest under duress. Alexandra was no longer under house arrest, again, under duress, and she continued to plot with impunity. What more did Miriam want from him? But no, she was absolutely unable to conceal the hatred she bore him. When he tried to have sex or even touch her in a vaguely amorous way, she'd take into groaning loudly and not in pleasure. Ugh. Stop it! Stop touching me! God, I hate you, Herod. That's what it sounded like. Herod was at his wit's end. He couldn't touch Alexandra. She had Cleopatra's friendship, and he couldn't bear to hurt his wife, even though she hated him for very good reasons. But he could do something about the entirely too handsome and too beloved by everybody, Aristobulus. After the Feast of Tabernacles, during which Aristobulus presided over the festivities, looking extremely hot and swoony and reminding everyone of the previous dynasty, the Hasmoneans, and what a nice, good-looking family they'd been, and where the heck were they? We missed them, Herod drew the boy out of the hot, sweaty palace and into a garden. Josephus tells us, quote, Herod was then very pleasant with the young man and drew him into a lonely place and at the same time played with him in a juvenile and ludicrous manner. Now, the nature of that place was hotter than ordinary, so they went out in a body and of a sudden and in a vein of madness and as they stood by the fish ponds, they went in to cool themselves by bathing. I just included that because I liked how he said it. It's kind of ridiculous, but I just liked it. I was just like, I have to read it just like I'm reading it in my head right now. (laughs) So nobody of high rank went anywhere in the ancient world without an entourage, and Herod and Aristobulus were hardly alone. Surrounded by his servants and friends, Herod plunged into the fish pond. Aristobulus stayed on the edge, eyeing the water nervously. It looked kind of cold, and was that algae in there? Oh, no. Ew, no. But Herod called for him to come in. Finally, Aristobulus caved to the peer pressure and jumped in with everyone else. Rough horseplay and dunking ensued. The dunking got a little out of hand, and somehow, in all the commotion, Aristobulus was held underwater until he drowned. Oopsie. Whoopsie. He was about 18 years old and had had his priesthood for only one year. Miriam and Alexandra saw right through Herod's lame explanation. Herod threw a big, expensive funeral and lamented loudly. It did not lessen anyone's suspicions. Miriam denounced him every chance she got. Alexandra opted for a more subtle approach, staying quiet to Herod's face while writing furiously to Cleopatra behind his back. Cleopatra immediately brought this up with Mark Antony. This could not be allowed, she declared. Herod wasn't even the real king in Judea. He was a Roman appointee who just committed a horrible crime against someone with real royal blood. This was about justice and the rights of royalty not to be treacherously murdered in their own beds or their own fish ponds even. Mark Antony agreed with her. He sent for Herod to explain himself. But here's the thing about Mark Antony. He was a real people pleaser. Oh, I understand, Mark Antony. I feel you. When you're just surrounded by assholes, you want no compromises. Sometimes you gotta Octavia up. Well, that's the thing. Antony was surrounded by assholes who wanted no compromises. 
But at the same time, you kind of couldn't trust him. Like you have him in a room and you go over your point and he agrees with you and you're like, great, he agrees with me. We're on the same page. And then you get him in a room with someone else. And if you're not there to manage the situation, he's going to go over to their side. He just can't say no to anyone. He can't stand firm. As soon as Herod got in a room with Antony, he started seeing things from Herod's perspective. Herod and Antony have been friends as teenagers, if you remember. And now Herod pulled out his charm and reminded Antony of their good times together. He showered Antony with gifts. He and Antony feasted together on the daily. Pretty soon, Antony was nodding along when Herod said things like how holding a king accountable for his affairs, like murder, pretty much meant he was no king at all. And Cleopatra seethed. But not long into his visit, Herod got word that things at home were not okay. Before he left, Herod had left his uncle Joseph in charge, not Josephus, Joseph. Different guy. And he'd left him with some very specific instructions. If Antony happened to have Herod killed instead of caving, which was a distinct possibility, he wanted Joseph to kill Miriam because Herod couldn't bear the idea of Miriam marrying someone else after he died. Obviously, Joseph was not supposed to tell Miriam about this, but Joseph couldn't keep his big freaking mouth shut. Every day while Herod was out of town, he had to listen to Alexandra and Miriam's scathing opinions about his nephew. They did not hold back. And finally, he could stand it no longer. He burst in that Herod wasn't this villain they were painting him as. In fact, he thought very highly of Miriam in particular. So highly that if he died at Antony's hands, Herod had even ordered Joseph to kill Miriam because he couldn't stand the thought of her being with anyone else. True romance. I know, swoon, sarcasm swoon. Miriam did not take this as a sign of Herod's kindness and love towards her. Whoa. Did not take this well, surprising nobody except maybe Joseph. Both Alexandra and Miriam freaked out. They plotted to run away and take refuge with the Roman legion camp near the city. Herod arrived home before they could make their escape, and when he did, he was faced with some very disturbing rumors. His mother-in-law, Alexandra, was plotting to ally herself with the Roman legions to take over his throne. Meanwhile, his wife, Miriam, had been spending a whole lot of time alone in a room with his uncle, Joseph. Herod threw Alexandra into prison. As for Miriam, he couldn't stand to punish her. Torn both by jealousy and love for her, he asked her if the rumors about her and good old Uncle Joseph were true. Miriam denied them, then turned around and demanded to know if the rumors on her end were true, that he'd ordered Uncle Joseph to kill her. Herod deduced that the only way Joseph would have told her that was if they'd been very close and intimate. So he threw Miriam into jail. That's some A-plus deducing there, Herod. Herod's logic is just infallible. Herod just makes some real iffy mental calls throughout this story. I mean, you think? So Miriam wasn't executed immediately after that. Miriam was eventually let out of jail, but if she hated Herod before, now she really hated Herod and deeply distrusted Herod. She could technically hate Herod more than she already did because now she was doing it, surprisingly. As for Herod, the more Miriam pulled away, the more obsessed with her he became, and also obsessed with the idea that she might be unfaithful. Finally, amidst false accusations of sleeping with other men and trying to poison him, Herod had Miriam put to death. Miriam was 28 years old when she died, and her death drove Herod to the edge of madness. 
He lamented for her, loudly and in public. He ordered his servants to go fetch her as if she was still alive and just in a different room. He threw lavish feasts and celebrations to take his mind off her. Finally, he went out into the desert to wallow in his grief and build a blanket fort and just hide there. Herod, quote, fell into a most dangerous distemper himself. He had an inflammation upon him and a pain in the hinder part of his head joined with madness. No doctor could help him. Herod eventually became functional again, but he was never quite back to his old self, and he never forgave Cleopatra. And about six years later, in 30 BC, when she and Antony were fighting for their lives, this may have made a critical difference. Herod started out in Antony's camp during the Battle of Actium. They were, after all, very old friends. But in a contentious environment where all Antony's friends were urging him to send Cleopatra away, Herod went farther and suggested Antony assassinate Cleopatra. Antony threw him out of his camp for even suggesting it. I mean, good job, Antony. Way to have boundaries. Yeah, way to have her back. The bar is really low here, but great. Later, Herod's support might have been able to turn the tide of the Battle of Actium, but he sent his excuses. And when Octavian finally defeated Antony, Herod showed up in his camp, loudly denounced Cleopatra, and theatrically resigned his kingdom out of loyalty to Antony. Octavian was so impressed that he allowed Herod to keep Judea. And when all was lost and Cleopatra was orchestrating her last grand plan to portage her 60 ships from the Mediterranean Sea to the Red Sea and sail away to India, the Nabataean king set her ships on fire as her crews pulled them up on the beach. The Nabataeans were the neighbors Herod had been forced to extract taxes from, which had started a civil war between them. We talk about that in Cleopatra and Herod Wouldn't Touch You With a Barge Pole Part 1. Eventually, the Nabataeans decided that Cleopatra was the real enemy. Herod stayed king of Judea until 4 AD another 34 years. And he wasn't a uniformly bad ruler. He oversaw ambitious building projects and increased the economic prosperity of his kingdom. He respected Jewish customs and holidays. He minted coins with no human images in deference to his Jewish subjects' beliefs. But his people never quite trusted his religious sincerity. One of the reasons was Herod's continued insistence on killing his family members. Because it didn't end with Miriam. Herod became increasingly paranoid as he grew older, eventually having two of his sons executed on suspicion of plotting against him. Octavian is rumored to have said, it is better to be Herod's pig than his son, in reference to the Jewish custom of not eating pork. And then there was how he died. Herod was approximately 70 years old, still king of Judea, when his health started to deteriorate. Josephus tells us that, quote, a fire glowed in him slowly, which did not so much appear to the touch outwardly as it augmented his pains inwardly, for it brought upon him a vehement appetite to eating, which he could not avoid to supply with one sort of food or another. His entrails were also exulcerated, and the chief violence of his pain lay in his colon. An aqueous and transparent liquor also had settled itself about his feet, and a like manner afflicted him at the bottom of his belly. Nay, farther, his privy member was putrefied and produced worms. Oh, God. Oh, jeez. Ugh. I'm making a noise like Miriam now. Ugh. And when he sat upright, he had a difficulty of breathing, which was very loathsome on account of the stench of his breath and the quickness of its returns. He also had convulsions in all parts of his body, which increased his strength to an insufferable degree. It said Herod was in such pain that at one point he tried to stab himself, but a relative stopped him. It's also said that his oldest son, Antipater, took control of the kingdom before Herod was quite done dying. On death's door, the old man raised himself on an elbow and ordered his son's execution and burial without rights. Herod died about five days after executing his third son. 
What a guy. What a guy. So that's it for this mini-sode. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it, and thank you so much for your support. Thank you. 